You know what the hardest thing about knowing you was? My superior intelligence. My dazzling charisma. Oh, my impeccable dress. Letting you go. Letting go of the doctor is so, so hard. Welcome to this special edition of Who and Company. My name is Brent. And I'm Drew. And as a thank you for all of you who have been listening to our show throughout its first year, we thought we'd do something a little special. That's right. Returning to the show for a look at this year's Christmas special are our very first guests, former co-hosts of the Doctor Who podcast, James and Michelle. We'll see what they thought of Series 10 and then delve into Peter Capaldi's swan song, Twice Upon a Time. But that's not all. We'll also be discussing the brand new definitive version of Shada, just released in the UK and coming to North America sometime this decade. (laughs) So, we hope you'll enjoy this special all-Doctor Who edition of Who and Company, which starts right after this. We started this whole thing exactly one year ago this month. We decided to reunite a few members of a show that's still one of the most beloved Doctor Who podcasts of all time, the Doctor Who podcast. So as the year was wrapping up, we all thought, wouldn't it be fun to get together again and discuss the Christmas special and a little something extra? And that's what we're doing today. Please welcome back to the show, James and Michelle. Hello, and thank you. Hello. <laughs> hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. So uh, tell us what you've been up to over the past year. Well, my year has been very, very busy. I am now uh, continuing to work full-time in my regular professional life, but I've also added on to that full-time graduate student work. So I have no life whatsoever. I have a lot (laughs) less Doctor Who in my life than I used to, which is is sad. But uh, it's been quite the challenge. So you have exactly, let's see, 59 minutes now before I go back. No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, sorry, me now, isn't it? Sorry, I've I've not done any podcasting at all over the last 12 months. So when I hear familiar voices, I tend to sit back and listen now, which is not very helpful when you're supposed to be recording. (laughs) Um, I've I've not really done anything who related at all over the last 12 months in, in, in fact I've uh, I've only seen the Christmas special on one occasion and that was on Christmas Day so uh, if anyone's tuned in for a detailed analysis then they, they better go and find another podcast but uh, but yeah I've been um, been very busy with work uh, again I've I've upped the level of uh, 
running. I, I, I now do around about 20k a week or thereabouts, which kind of leaves um, little time for, for sitting in front of the computer and stuff. And I, I do miss it. I do miss it. The only difference, though, in, in real life, I suppose, when I when I just carry on talking is that generally people tell me to stop whereas you two don't know me very well so you don't have to be that polite so unless you stop me soon i'm just going to carry on going for another hour or so right so here we go (laughs) so james is james is it true that you've already run a 10k this morning i have indeed yeah (laughs) so i'm I'm somewhat um drunk on fatigue as well Uh, so it's probably really not a very good combination Oh, this is going to be very great. And meanwhile, I'm in my pajamas. So, you know, (laughs) having just had breakfast in a leisurely morning. So different strokes, different folks. Mm. (laughs) Sorry, it feels rude if we don't ask you how you are. (laughs) (laughs) Silence. (laughs) Well, in the last year, uh, we started a podcast and we're still going. So two thumbs up for that. And a very good podcast it is too, and it, ha- it has been quite fun to to listen to certainly. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed particularly listening to your uh, adventures at Chicago, uh, Tardis this time, fitting into the podcast community there. Um, how how was that? Bearing in mind you're describing. Um, or you'll be describing an American convention along the lines that I simply haven't had the opportunity uh, to to attend. So feel free to make it sound bad. <laughs> oh, you mean uh, Long Island? Who? Uh, yeah. Oh, Chicago. Yeah. Yes, sorry, Long Island's New no, York. No, but we we had an, in one of our earlier episodes, we brought Taylor Deathridge, uh from Chicago Tardis. So so both are accurate. Um, yeah, no, it was good. I, I I have no idea how to describe it and compare it to a UK convention. Better. Uh, I'm I I would like to get one of those under my belt. Uh, sadly, they announced that there would be no Li Who in 2018, mm. so we're going to take a break Aww. from that. I mean, you know, my hope is that they. Re- I mean, it's such an amazing convention and such an amazing community that I'm sure a year or two from now it will rally again, and other other conventions will will uh, keep going. So I I know that I'm going to Hulanta. Uh, in Atlanta in May, and I'm going to try to make it to Regeneration Who in Baltimore in March. Galley is a little too expensive and too mm. soon and too sold out for me to make it this year, but maybe <laughs> next year. So I adore it. I adore it. From someone mm. who didn't have a fandom and never been to a convention, um, that transition to going to one annually and looking forward to it is a big change in my life. And it's one that I, I mean, I, it's kind of hard to imagine my life previous to convention going because I just, <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't know any of you. And uh, I have so much, uh, so much friends and family now from, from that experience. It's opened up so many doors. How about you, Brent? Hello. Uh, well, not a whole lot this year. Been saving up a lot of money, so um, we're going to England in April. So we're looking Ooh. forward to that, and uh, hopefully get to meet up with you, James, and mm, yeah, run a couple of ten k's. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be on to ten milers by then, Brent. So. <laughs> oh, only if somebody's chasing me. <laughs> Man, if you guys were playing Pokemon Go, you would be racking up the candy, and <laughs> none of you know what I'm talking about, and that's fine. No, I understand that's something that young people do. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> yes. 
young people. <laughs> yeah, so we're coming uh, the, the first, uh, the second week of April, so it'll be the eighth through the fifteenth, and um, we're we're doing a uh, a Downton Abbey tour. Uh, we're doing the birthday party with Pearl Mackey. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, so All hopefully right. we get to, you know, run into her. Hopefully, um, Toby Jones is in that play too, and also um, Zoe Watermaker. That's that's yeah. that's who it is. Yeah. So the Christmas special. Mm. So I'm kind of curious, and this is one of the things too, where you know this is is an event that happens every year. It's something we all look forward to. But I'm curious to hear how you go about watching the Christmas special for the folks here in Greensboro. They gather together at our local coffee house, 150 people, and watch it together, usually because most people don't have BBC America on their televisions. But also, maybe their families don't like Doctor Who, and so they want to be with their tribe, their fandom. Uh, what is When you watch it, do you have like a ritual? How do you, how do you watch it? Is there something like an annual tradition, or how does that get oh, set up? I, I think it is certainly uh, uh, considered an annual tradition amongst fandom. Um, but in terms of, you know, having a, a set way of watching it, um, then I think over the, what, 10, 11 Christmas specials that we've had now, um, my experiences have varied significantly. Uh, I, I remember going to um, something very similar to that which you just described uh, a little while ago to watch The End of Time Part 1. Uh, and that was in a, a pub with probably about 150 to to 200 fans and just really hoping that I was I got very very drunk but just didn't realize it and uh, <laughs> got home watched it again and realized it was better first time around but uh, I it, it's it's also very I've I've um I've watched it uh, with family at home in the past, but I think the last couple of years, um, certainly my family have distanced themselves even more from Doctor Who than uh, they, they once were. Um, I think whilst David Tennant in particular and Matt Smith to an extent were were in the role, then there was a residual interest, um, but I think that really left when Capaldi took over. Uh, so it's been a fairly solitary uh, viewing experience for me over the last couple of years. Uh, I, I literally wait until all of the family stuff is, is, is dealt with, and then I put my headphones on and watch it on my iPad, and then all of my interaction these days is done online. But I'm, I'm quite happy <laughs> about that. Um, you know, whilst everybody here is very aware of Doctor Who and it features in practically every um, Christmas trailer or the montage of different programmes at the BBC show over Christmas, it's it's not so much front and centre of um, public awareness anymore, um, which is a bit of a shame, I think. Um, so, you know, there aren't really these events uh, as much as they used to be and that's you know I think that's probably just something that was going to happen after 10 11 years of um of having a Christmas special at Doctor Who but you know I think things change and things move on um yeah but that was that was my experience in our family uh for the past several years certainly my son and I have always watched it together I have successfully created a Doctor Who fan uh, for my progeny, so that's good. The legacy <laughs> lives on. <laughs> my husband uh, is um, has never really been all that interested in Doctor Who, although he will occasionally watch. And this is one of those Christmases where he did sit down and watch at least the first part with us. Now, this may be telling about me. I can't remember whether he watched the whole thing or not. Um, <laughs> and we were all on the same couch, so that's <laughs> I, I, I was 
paying close attention to the show. But um, yeah, no, I know it was kind of nice this year, at least to go in with the entire family watching it. Well, we're going to be talking about the twice as part of time in, in just a minute, but I wanted to know what did each of you think of uh, Series 10 this year or last year? Ooh. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it was okay, which is not a very detailed description, really. Um, I, I think it was watchable without having a single standout episode uh, that really got the hairs on the back of me neck standing up um i think perhaps the penultimate episode and i can't remember what it was called was that world enough and time or was that the finale see this shows how bad a fan i've become um but episode 11 was i think was the episode i enjoyed the most um mm-hmm. and i have enjoyed peter capaldi's performance uh, I, i've never had an issue with an older doctor i just don't think he's as accessible as previous doctors um and I, I, I don't engage with a show as much as I used to. Um, so I've, I found myself going back um, to the classic series and also, strangely, to a lot of Matt Smith's era, uh, which was, um, you know, it was, it was never one of my favourite uh, eras whilst it was broadcasting, but it's certainly uh, a go-to era if, if I feel like watching a bit of Doctor Who. Um, but, but Series 10, I just found fairly middling um and the ending uh i thought was an absolute duplicate of season nine um you know what they did i think with bill's character uh was identical almost in every single story way possible um to what i did with 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 clara and um you know that aside uh i I, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I, I think my tone is probably saying more than my words, um, but it was, it was, it was just okay for me. You know, I think I'm going to echo a lot of what James said, starting from the fact that I'm having a hard time remembering what the stories was, which is terrible because I love Doctor Who and I did watch each and every one. Um, I, I wasn't terribly disappointed, but I think I also wasn't, you know, incredibly excited. I, they, I thought they were good. This is yeah. It's going to sound just like James. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I feel like I would have liked to have had Bill around for another season or two. I, I to me, Bill still feels new, and yet the show's kind of already moving on from her. So that that seemed to come and go really fast. Maybe I'm showing my age. Maybe things just just go by so quickly. Um, and it's also been a long time since I watched those episodes. Um, so. So yeah, the the final two with the Cybermen, um, I'm gonna need to. Re- I've, I also only watched everything once, so that that's never a good way to fix things in my mind. But the final two with the Cybermen, I'm gonna need to rewatch, kind of knowing what I'm getting into. At the time, I found them really bleak, and I don't know that I was. I mean, and I guess rightfully so. so the Cybermen are probably one of the most horrific concepts out there, and it was. Uh, certainly presented that way and and in that sense presented very well but I'm gonna need to watch them again the plot line that ran through with Missy and the doctor kind of exploring the possibility of redemption for Missy I thought was was really intriguing that 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 was interesting to me I I guess I would have liked to have seen that continue Um, I didn't care for 
the masters killing themselves off at the end. I'm going to assume moving forward that the character can be brought back because the master always can be brought back, but it felt pretty final to me in there. And I've always really liked the master. It's been one of my favorite opponents, adversaries, foils for the doctor. So I hope that character isn't gone forever, but it probably isn't. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really will need at some point in my life when I have more time <laughs> to go back and, and rewatch these. In fact, <clears throat> I need to do that for the whole Capaldi uh, era. Uh, and I'll come back to that when we talk about our, our uh, impressions of the regeneration this time. But that one thing that, that I know, and I loved Peter Capaldi as the doctor. Mm. Um, I, I, I thought he was a phenomenal actor. I, I just, every, every move, every word, he was just amazing. I love to watch him. And it was true here in the Christmas finale too. So I wish we had had more Capaldi. Um, I would love to have seen Capaldi under a different showrunner, but um, I, you know, I'm hopeful that in the future there will be maybe specials that he'll return in or, or big finish. Um, but yeah, I will definitely miss this doctor. Uh, and it all kind of came and went pretty fast, maybe partly because the podcast wasn't the, the Doctor Who podcast. Sorry, it's not the only podcast out there. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't happening for much of the Capaldi era. So I was not um, was not as deeply ingrained in the, in the series as I have been in the years leading up to that. But I do love that actor and the role and I will deeply miss him. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. I, I think I think Capaldi appealed to fans first and foremost um i i don't feel that he had a much wider appeal obviously there's going to be some some exceptions but the amount of conversations that i had with colleagues at work and people outside of doctor who fandom who simply said oh i've lost interest and i i just don't feel like it's my show whereas if, if you listen to the fans discuss it then all of a sudden they're getting very excited about some of these plot lines they get very excited about the way Capaldi portrayed the doctor um, lots of very um, not even subtle references to the show's past and, and and yet I think also a lot of the scripts were informed by the way Stephen Moffat um, writes and showruns Doctor Who and I think certainly the middle section there was a trilogy and I couldn't tell you any of the titles of the individual episodes but you remember there was a middle part of season 10 where you had you know three closely linked stories that involved mm -hmm. monks and so on i i really lost interest in that whole arc um and it, it just felt as though everything was very quippy again which is something which uh moffat is really you know famed for and Practically every character spoke like they were a character in Friends, and it, it, it's or, or Chandler in particular. You know, you, you couldn't have even a slight hint at double entendre without it actually being called out in the script, and I, it it just felt. I mean, and I'm if I'm veering away from saying the word turgid, but I think certainly the last story in that trilogy. I really disengaged with big time. Um, I, di I didn't get the whole of the Doctor going blind thing. I didn't. That uh, felt like it was just a, a diversion um, because if he'd have gone through the story, being able to see, then it would have been even more boring. Um, so that, that sounds really bad. So yeah. <laughs> well, we should talk about the Christmas special. Well, let's, talk, <laughs> let's talk about the Christmas special. So I, what I would like to hear first is I'd like to hear um, how Brent. Uh, how you you saw it because it's, it's it's fascinating to me to think about like you know this one special time of the year and we are usually around with our families. Brent, how did you how did you watch the Christmas special? 
Well, um, normally we would, uh, you know, we have everybody here, and then uh, the next day I'll find a way to get the episode uncut <laughs> and watch it. But this year was a little different. Um, both of the boys have grown up and they've moved out and everything, so uh, it was the day after Christmas, and it was just me and my wife here, and I bought it on Amazon, and we watched it. Just had a great time just sitting on the couch with the dog and... <laughs> um, my my wife uh, jokes that she doesn't like Doctor Who, but she'll sit there, and you can tell she really enjoys it. <laughs> I think she's just I think she's just playing it, <laughs> but uh, she really enjoyed it. That's cool. Neat. Uh, I was in a, a wintry Western North Carolina mountains of North Carolina sort of a situation, and and I I couldn't watch it the moment it aired, and so about one o'clock in the morning I. I opened up my laptop and to a quiet house. Everyone else was asleep, and put headphones on and kind of hunched over the computer and, and watched it, trying to keep quiet, which I failed to do on several occasions. Because there was <laughs> there was a <clears throat> there was a Mary Berry reference that uh, made me cackle enough to wake members of my family, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> along with yeah. Mr. Pastry and something else, wasn't it? I can't remember. Yeah, there's a different <laughs> reference to Mr. Pastry, which. Yeah. Uh, completely went over my head uh oh. and, which i don't have a problem with because then it allows me to go down that wikipedia rabbit hole and find out what those references mean <laughs> and a lot of doctor who does that though i have found that uh in the capaldi era it has felt a little bit more international i felt like the reference either either i'm becoming acclimated to UK pop culture a little bit more than I was before or that maybe they are not making as many UK in references I, so, I think I think they are. I think they're becoming slightly more obscure, uh, and I'd be, I I probably wouldn't describe uh, Mr. Pastry as um, UK pop culture. I have to say, <laughs> but uh, it, th- th- there are a lot of knowing winks that are becoming less and less subtle. I think um, certainly throughout this latest era, um, and a lot of the dialogue I, I find quite impenetrable. I, I think. I mean, and, and you know. Doctor Who for a very long time now has not been made to be consumed and then disposed of and never seen again. So it's being made for repeated viewings, made for the box set generation, so people can go back. Um, and if they are inclined to do so, and I've, I've done this myself sometimes, it, just stick the subtitles on, either because you can't make out what Capaldi is saying, or because the script is delivered at a very rapid fire um, pace so you can appreciate some of these jokes and in in jokes that are um are said under the breath sometimes and i've 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 only picked up a few of them whilst reading the the, the subtitles um and, and i'm not sure whether i'm annoyed because i missed them the first time or or whether i'm more annoyed because some of them i have to go and actually research and it causes me work so it's uh, i i think it's just part of doctor who now we all watch doctor who for different reasons i i imagine that my appreciation for the show has changed since I've started uh, reviewing it on podcasts because before I just would sit back and watch it because I didn't have I was not culpable to explain why or why I did not like an episode to anybody else but the moment you start reviewing it on a on a podcast you have to start taking some responsibility for why your opinions are the way they are (laughs) well we never did (laughs) (laughs) I, I think I think actually you do do it Drew, I, I think it's just that you aren't always forced to articulate it. 
you know what maybe I mean? That's I mean the, true the process well. is the, the the process is still there. It's just that you're not putting yourself in a in, in a forum where you've got someone saying, "Well, I don't understand" or "Don't agree," and therefore you find yourself having to explain why. And I guess that's the beauty of um, of being uh, a host of a podcast. But um, I, I, even when you are able to explain your reasons, you know, really, really well, and you can make a compelling um, case for your views, you try discussing that with Trevor because it, it didn't make any difference, logic or reasons. You know, it was uh, it was all lost on him. <laughs> Well, my job, my job on the podcast is not to convince somebody else to like it or not. I just have to tell you why I liked it or not, you know, and why the other person is wrong. So, I, so, I am so, so did you trying to not take that tact ever oh, it's again? Much more fun. You should really try. <laughs> <laughs> so, I am actually curious: Did we like this or not, or why, and where, and how? I loved it. Mm-hmm. Tell us about it. I've heard a lot of people say um, that this was more, it felt more like an afterthought, like the Dr. Falls was the finale and this was sort of a coda. And I, I see where I see where you're coming from, I, I, um, but I still loved it. Uh, there, the argument was that um, this story didn't really have a threat, but actually it does before you know testimony isn't evil. You kind of think that there is a threat, even though there isn't. And, of course, you have the Daleks there, too. So that's on top of that before you know that it's rusty and it's not really a threat there either. <laughs> but um, I loved it. I, I loved the whole um, – there were a lot of callbacks in here. The uh, 709 episodes ago with the 10th Planet clips mm-hmm. and the, the new versions of the Lost Scenes. I love those. Uh, lots of callbacks like the Brandy and the TARDIS and the – the sexist comments from the first doctor. Um, but you can see the changes. I was okay with that too, because if you watch, there's a scene where, um, when Bill comes back and if you watch the first doctor's face, when he sees the 12th doctor hug Bill and he sees how much he's changed over the years of that. And that was great. Let me interject just for a moment. Do you feel that this is a three-parter? Is this the third part of a three-parter? I don't think so. I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I, I, and I think that was just the way it was um, when it, it came into being. Um, Moffat had absolutely no intention of writing this episode at all uh, until it became apparent that if he didn't, there wasn't going to be a Christmas special. But he'd, he'd always intended to conclude his arc with uh, the end of season 10. Uh, so I think that has given, given the episode's the feeling of uh, of an epilogue uh, as as an add-on, um, and again, I mean, what other series have we seen the Doctor take months and months and months in real time to regenerate? Um, but yeah, for me, it did feel like a, a, an added-on um, part. Maybe, maybe not a three-parter because I don't think there's enough story here to be called a, a true episode. But it's certainly right. it's, it, it's about. Um, it's about half an hour of additional story material to, to to back up what happened in season ten. To me, it was more of a more of a character piece than an actual mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. adventure yeah. or story. Yeah, I mean, it is an episode, so I mean, what uh, is sixty minutes of Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah, sixty minutes <laughs> of Doctor Who. It's a story, and so I mean, it does it stand alone by itself? Could you watch this without having seen the other two? 
leading up to it. Well, for, <laughs> for me, it had been so long since I'd seen the other two, it was almost <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, so, and, and I thought it worked as a standalone. I agree completely with Brent that um, it, it's, I think it was Brent who said it's more of a character piece, which, which is fine. I also am perfectly happy that there isn't a real villain uh, and that there is nothing evil in in this episode um i i like the idea that once in a while the uh the beings that the doctor encounters are not up to bad things um and so that 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 was just fine that Mm. didn't diminish my my enjoyment at all i thought it was fine i didn't dislike it and i wasn't a huge fan of the ending the the two-parter um i i was preparing myself to become very emotional at the departure, both at the departure of Capaldi's Doctor and the beginning of this new era, and I just liked it fine. Um, I don't have a whole lot of bad things to say about it, and I have quite a few good things to say about it, but I don't feel like I was moved in the same way that many other people were. And I don't know if that is the episode's fault or if uh, my interactions with the show currently have changed in such a way that it just, you know, it just it's just changed. I felt the same way. I I thought it was I thought I was going to be emotional at the end and and I wasn't. The only part that really got me was the whole uh, armistice thing uh, when that was sure. played out and and yeah and and I remember reading about that in school and to, for them to actually drop that in here and that was that was nice. Yeah, I called that one as soon as I saw the uh, the uniforms in the the <laughs> first trailer. Um, I knew I knew exactly what it was going to be because this is the moment in history. Of like whenever I'm in a panel and we're on a where should the doctor go next in a story, that's my number one. Like <laughs> I always wanted to see the Christmas truce of 1914. I think it's phenomenal. Watch um, Joie Noël, which is a, a foreign film about that that moment. I, I can't get enough of it. It kind of it's it's the last time something like that has happened in war, and it's almost inconceivable to think of two forces who are trying to kill each other doing something like that. It feels like kind of like the last moments of, I don't know, we really truly became kind of an international community and, and uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a fascinating part of history. And so the moment it happened, yeah. I got so excited for that, to be able to see that. And, uh, you know, my two favorite parts in this episode are the Mary Berry reference and the fact that this, this was what happened. <laughs> and actually, I kept my mouth <laughs> shut. <That was> brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant to compare a, a an elderly British celebrity cook to the armistice of the First World War in the same sense. <laughs> oh, well done! That's that's brilliant. No one else would have done that one. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> uh, well, I'll 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 leap in a little bit, and I, you know, in in general, I really liked this. There is a lot to enjoy. Uh, and I think a lot that was done well in this episode. And I think it's a, a, a fitting farewell to Capaldi. Um, I do have some problems with it that, that we can talk about later. But 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 the general overall impression is is that I, I really enjoyed this. Um, and I think actually one of the one of the many good things and a very strong thing in this is how they used the captain from World War One. Yes, culminating in the Christmas armistice. But I, I clued in pretty quickly to the fact that he was going to be related to Lethbridge Stewart, um, which, which was fine. But I thought Mark Gaddis was great. I yeah. thought the character was I great. I thought overlaying that character having to come to an acceptance of his own death at the same time that the doctors were trying to 
come to an acceptance of their deaths was was a really nice symmetry in the writing. But I, I think, honestly, you know, for all the fun and really great lines in this, I think maybe the best line in the whole episode was, what do you mean one? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was, was so powerful. Mm. And and when you watch the doctor's response to that, almost kind of hanging his head. Um, he said spoilers, he, I think. <laughs> he, he did say spoilers, but he said yeah. it in a very chagrined way. And it yeah. was that moment was so powerful. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, and again, you get to the powerful stuff at the end. But I really like that character. I, I do agree with you. I mean, I really liked Mark Gatiss' character here. I thought it was um, probably the best performance he's ever given in Doctor Who and probably many other things that I've seen him in as well, actually. And mm. um, I, I, I hung on his every word. I, I thought he was um, I thought he was really, really good. However, I, I'm still not certain that I understand why the character got caught up in the midst of two <laughs> regenerations. Why was he there? A, apart from to give Mark Gatiss... Uh, a role to play in Capaldi's final story. How? What was the reason that he got pulled out of time? I think you totally got it. I I, I think it's just they they needed to. I think it's Stephen Moffat taking his writing partner from Sherlock and inserting him in here as a, a sort of farewell. That feels it feels very much like um sort of what Russell T Davies did at the end of of his era. You know, kind of bringing people back in in one form or another. We get Toby Whithouse in there too, right? Like as they, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. I will say when when I look at the things that I struggle with a little bit in this story, how the plot actually fits together is hmm. is up there. Fortunately, this is not focused on plot; it's more focused on character. But but James, that bothered me a lot too. And I did watch this a second time last night and paused and took notes. So here's the explanation for why the captain was there. This is. Um, I think it's the the Capaldi doctor talking to the first doctor towards the end. He says, this was our fault, you and me trying to die twice in the same lifetime. Our lives are woven throughout time and space. We caused the error in time, created a whirlpool that landed him at our feet. Why? So you you can buy that or not. No, but no, that's no, the... It's fine. I don't mind that. But why? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got it. Here's, here's my headcanon now. Um, he was supposed to die. I think we, we can all agree that had this, this moment in time not happened, he probably would have died. And if he had died, we wouldn't have gotten Lethbridge-Stewart. So, uh, or maybe we would have, but... No, he already had boys. He already had boys, but he's not he's not the dad. He's the grandfather. So maybe but maybe it's, you know, the Doctor's connection with Lethbridge-Stewart, um, a, a character that Moffat really seems to not be fixated on, and, and certainly if he is, it's not in a bad way. But perhaps it's their relationship um, creates sort of a, a loop. I mean, it doesn't have to yeah. make any sense. I mean, if you try to suss out the inconsistencies in Moffat plots, you're not going to like <laughs> a many of his episodes. No, no, no don't get me wrong. It, it, and it certainly didn't detract from my enjoyment. But I, I did want to try and figure out why in story terms he was there. And I come to a similar conclusion that the fact that he was related to the Brigadier who had such... Uh, a huge impact on the Doctor's life and experiences and adventures on Earth must have had something to do with it. But it is not explicitly referenced uh, in the script at all. And you are supposed to think, do you know what? It's not important. I meant to just enjoy it. And for once, I did. Um, I, I also wonder whether or not 
there was any kind of whether it was subconscious or conscious thought on Moffat's part uh, to, to all of the vitriol um, vitriolic reaction uh, to the way that he used a brigadier in death in heaven um, he mm-hmm. just thinks, no, I've, I can't let that be my last reference uh, to the brigadier um, because otherwise, you know, the the abiding memory is is flying around as a Cyberman somewhere. And uh, I think this, this worked so much better because of the way the character of, of Archibald Lethbridge... No, it was Archibald something... Was it Lethbridge Street? It was Lethbridge Street, wasn't it? It wasn't a different middle yeah, name. Hamish. Yeah, Hamish. 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 Thank Hamish. you. Thank you. Is, is that a, a Sherlock reference? Like, because... Uh... Watson's middle name is Hamish and they draw that attention to that so many times in the I... episodes that I think Gatiss writes for Sherlock perhaps I mean the only other Hamish within Doctor Who is the replacement for Fraser Hines in the mind robber <laughs> Hamish Wilson is the only oh one that brings goodness, right. jumps to wow. mind but that that's not really a link that is um that, that, <laughs> that that, that's is... more of an in, it's more of an insight as to how my brain works I think <laughs> but yeah I took it as Possibly testimony put him there because she already knew all the doctor's lives already, mm. and maybe she grabbed him. But still, why? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, and the, and the other the other part of that, the flip side is that you know the plot clearly set up that he had to die when he died. That somehow him dying was essential at that time, and then of course the doctor ignores that and fixes it so that he can save him. So again, these are they're plot things. You just kind of have to let them go because the character parts of this story are so strong but um yeah it's it's one of those things for me and i know there's many different perspectives but for me it's one of the things that makes me look forward to a new showrunner sure no i I (laughs) agree i I think perhaps um the captain's fate um was also included to, to try and give a different outcome um, to the same scenario that Moffat had already played out with Clara and Bill, because both of those uh, had died, uh, and at the point of their death, they you know something happened that basically cancelled out their death, even though it didn't in you know, it did in story terms, but they were still featuring in future episodes so after their death. Whereas this time, r- rather than allow him to die, then he was he he changed he changed things so that he didn't die. So maybe there was and a slight twist it's- there. It's totally appropriate in the final Moffat episode to have everybody live, and and I do like that. I mean, I I like the outcome. I love the the Christmas armistice connection, and and so I do like the outcome. It's just a little funky how it got no, there. It was good, but it, but it, it, even if that was seen as slightly schmaltzy, it got even worse. I think when when it got to the point where you had all of the companions come back with Nardole as well, and I mean at that point you were completely supposed to not be focusing on how they were there or were they the real characters. You were literally supposed to just be enjoying the ride and again I did to an extent I did to an extent but uh, but I think everything I've mentioned so far has been negative I just wanted to make certain I, I say at least <laughs> once that I enjoyed these episodes as well um, and I agree with a heck of a lot of what was said earlier on in terms of it being low-key I like the fact that there wasn't any real overt threat I enjoyed the way um, the doctors interacted David Bradley for me um and he's got a lot of bad press uh, from from people who seem to think that he did a massive disservice to William Hartnell's Doctor um, in in terms of being this uh, 
sexist, um, you know, old-fashioned man. Um, actually, he was like that in the original series, and there are several. No, I disagree. There, there are several, I disagree. several instances gonna... where you know you, you can actually say that some of his behaviour and his language was totally inappropriate. And I think all that Moffat did was use three or four of those instances five, uh, for, for gags. Oh, you, you you were counting. You had a five-bar gate, didn't you? no i i don't know i'm going to be on the other side of this that i really i do feel it did a disservice um uh the writing not the actor i thought the acting was was wonderful i love i love him as the first doctor but i've watched all of the episodes of the first doctor and having gone through that sequence yeah once in a while there comes something up that is kind of of the time and would not be appropriate um but it is not an overriding character of the first doctor. And, you know, we get limited screen time with the first doctor here after, you know, 50 years or whatever. And to have that much of the character, I mean, that was a primary quality of the character that was displayed in this Christmas special. And that's just, that has never been my, what my take home from all the episodes of of the first doctor that I've watched. So I do think it was a disservice and I think it was kind of out of character and out of place. It was, it was odd. I I think perhaps maybe there was more made of it um, than, well, we, we, obviously, because it's an, an hour's episode and the first Doctor only featured for a very small part of that. Um, and it was trying to summarise an entire three-year era. Um, and, and I think perhaps maybe the frequency with which those gags were made was, was, was too much. But for me, I was entirely comfortable with it. I didn't feel that it was... Um, I didn't feel it denigrated the memory of, of the first Doctor in any way. It might have misrepresented the era slightly, but bearing in mind it's a different actor anyway who doesn't mimic William Hartnell. He, he plays the first Doctor his own way. Um, you know, very, very reminiscent of the way Richard Herndall played him in The Five Doctors. I thought he just played the first Doctor his own way. I, I, just, I just felt that it worked. I've got to say, I, I, thought that, I thought that was really, really quite good. And um, I liked the interaction um, between the 13th and the first Doctor. It kind of had a very circular feel to it. Um, and it just uh, it, it just worked for me. I yeah I, I didn't quite understand the inclusion of of Rusty initially. Um, I thought if you're going to make a callback to an earlier episode, I'd have probably chosen a different one um, because again, Into the Dalek for me wasn't wasn't a seminal Capaldi episode. And uh, I, I don't know. Asked a few questions there. Um, perhaps there's going to be a big finished box set about the adventures of Rusty and how we ended up ended on that on that on that planet. <laughs> Uh, the one good Dalek, uh, but uh, but yeah, it was it was great. Um, the, the the one the one thing that I I will voice um, a complaint or dissatisfaction with is, is concerning the regeneration, and I'm not sure whether we're ready to go on and talk about that in. Let's save detail. that one. Let's save right. that one. Towards Come to me the... first on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just I'm curious to think um, based off your reactions to what you thought about series ten. If you feel like this was a fitting finale for Capaldi as the Doctor, do you think that this episode worked as it, the it final was, Capaldi episode? It was entirely appropriate for this Doctor. Yes, it was. Um, it was. It was low key. It played to Capaldi's strengths, which he'd showed throughout the three previous years. 
it didn't feel out of place. It felt like a bit of a bolt-on uh, for me, or a bit of a, a closing chapter to uh, to a book you thought had ended a little while ago. But in terms of the, the tone, um, I thought that was fine. I thought it was quietly celebratory. Um, it had all of the things that had featured prominently in the um, previous three seasons, including the companions, um, a slightly bizarre appearance of, of, of Clara, and the Doctor conveniently was given his um, memories of her back, you know, just to make it feel like a, a celebration. Um, but on the whole, I have to say it, it, it probably worked. Yeah. What do you think, Michelle? I I would agree. I... I um... And picking up on what you said about Rusty, James, I think there's a symmetry and an importance to have Rusty in the story, even though I wasn't all that excited about Rusty per se, but, and and sorry, it's going to foreshadow the regeneration, but I won't completely go there. But kindness was an important theme in this episode. Um, yeah, sure. it came up along the way. And then, of course, it features in the, in the final words of this doctor. And when you go back to the beginning, this doctor was one of the least kind doctors um, that we were ever confronted with. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that that Into the Dalek episode, what was that, about his third episode in? Second. Was it really just the second? Wow. Second. But those themes of, you know, they were exploring, is the doctor a good man? And um, is he heartless? Uh, there were some pretty difficult things for folks to stomach about the Doctor in that episode. So I think it's fitting that they go back and revisit that episode in a way with, with, with Rusty to show how far the, this Doctor has come. Um, and one of the things I want to do the, the next time I have a chance to watch Peter Capaldi's um, era in its entirety is intentionally watch how that develops, how that kindness develops, how he grows, how he learns. Certainly Clara had a, a really big impact on him. I, I remember when he used to have the note cards, he would have to pull out and read to, to say things in, <laughs> in a less mean way. Um, so yeah, I do think if you take the whole story arc of this doctor being about the doctor learning to be kind and developing kindness and fully living into that, then I think the presence of Rusty at the end uh, is fitting, uh, and yeah, I'll just and I do think it's a fitting finale for this doctor, um, and I I also think his ability to interact with um, the first doctor and kind of reflect a bit on where he's come was also important. I I should say that you know aside from the the sexist lines, I really did enjoy the portrayal of the first doctor. The acting was fine. I and, and like you James, I really enjoyed the the banter between the first doctor uh, and the 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 Capaldi doctor. Um so that was, you know, all very very positive and I I do. I think it worked well for this doctor and and even the weight of all the years and all the regenerations, and don't I get to rest? Uh, and this doctor in particular, who had spent eons in that you know, that trap trying to bust his way out of that, um, <laughs> whatever it was, ice wall. <laughs> I, this guy has so much history weighing him down that yeah, I do think I think this was I think this was a fitting end. Uh, well, before we get to the regeneration, same question, but Moffat. Do you think this was a fitting in for Moffat's era? <laughs> it's it, difficult to know, um, 
the answer really because I'm not entirely certain what a fitting ending would be. I think it was entirely predictable um, in terms of the kind of story it was. It was never going to be um, something that was highly action-packed and full of explosions really. Uh, I think it was always going to be much more of a um, a slow revelatory episode you know what I mean by that really I think is you gradually find things out and 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 those um those things like um you know where where you get to learn what the current doctor thinks of his previous and first incarnation I mean that wouldn't have come up in any other um story really and it's the kind of thing that Moffat would definitely like to examine I think um yeah the the testimony and the, the the glass figures, I think he's quite moffaty and certainly fits in with season ten. Um, but fitting is is hard to know. I I think it was it was an okay episode. Um, and I think if I'd have watched this without knowing who wrote it, I'd have probably been able to tell you straight away that it was a Moffat episode. But um, so it kind of answers your question, I think. <laughs> this is a tricky question, <laughs> um, and I think. That yes, there are some things that make this a really uh, kind of a nice bookend to the Moffat era, and I'm gonna f- forgive me for this. I'm gonna list one more thing that that troubled me a bit, or l- let's say it's a different way that I see the show than Moffat does. At least I think, um, and then I'm gonna talk about some things I really liked in relation to Moffat and this episode. But the one other niggle that I had about this story is the part where. Uh, Bill is talking with the first doctor and asking him about his motivations for for setting out into the universe. Uh, And the first doctor talks about, you know, wanting to go and explore why why good wins when when you'd think evil should win. Um, And, you know, what is it that that holds the universe together, who sets the universe to right? And Bill essentially says, well, it's you. You know, there's this bloke that runs around the universe um, fixing things and it's that idea that the doctor is the most important thing in the universe, um, that the universe, you know, isn't going to survive without the doctor. And and that kind of focus on the doctor and making the doctor almost this godlike character um, is one of the things that, that hasn't worked as well for me in the Moffat era. But I think it's certainly something that the show has been about in the Moffat era. Um, and and so okay, how do I want to say this? Part of what part of what I struggle with is when you'd make the doctor that powerful, and that the universe isn't going to go on without the doctor running around to fix all the things that are broken, is that I think it takes some of the agency away from the other characters and from us as humans. I think the doctor should be someone out there who's doing the right thing again and again, but yeah. alongside of the other characters. Um, and I can hear, is that you, James, that's squealing out there because Not you want to talk? Squealing? No, no, no. <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's, uh, squealing sounds very different. I can do that for you if you like. You're moaning? But, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not moaning. I'm, I, I think my brain is working. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, <laughs> Finally! It, oh, un, sorry. It, it's like, no, no, it's unusual. I know. I, I'm, I'm not sure that's what the show is saying. I, I, I think it was uh, towards the end of the Tenant era, and, and certainly it was addressed head-on in Matt Smith's era when he um, deliberately deleted himself from history. Um, you know, certainly in Asylum of the Daleks, the Daleks don't know, don't know who he is. 
at the end and the Capaldi era was deliberately downscaled um, the the kind of I don't know godlike qualities of, of, of the Doctor and, and, and again you know we see at the beginning of season 10 he's just in a university lecturing I, I think the, the, the godlike image is how the companions and in this case is how Bill sees him and I think that's an entirely natural reaction and way to feel about someone who can go anywhere in time and space and rights wrongs um, so I, I didn't feel the you know universal cosmic threat and the doctor is the you know a godlike force for good correcting and uh, you know defeating evil that that isn't I don't think the real signature of the Moffat era uh, I, I feel that's just perhaps the way a lot of the companions see the doctor well and I, I actually appreciate that you bring bring out that the Capaldi era did tone it down which is one of the things I like about the Capaldi era so I was kind of surprised maybe that we got that speech here at the end and I guess if the question is is this a fitting end for Moffat or finale for Moffat it feels to me like it went back to some of the some of the themes about the grandiosity of the doctor that that we had seen earlier in the Moffat era but I like your perspective that you could see that as coming from Bill or from testimony who because again when they were in the hall of the dead testimony said well everybody here knows you you are known to everyone as the doctor of war and it's like oh really every single dead person who or or at least every testimony being whatever but on the That's but let true. me there are some things that i think are beautiful about this as the end of the the moffat era i think some of the things they brought in um particularly like um the long way round the reference to the long way round which the first doctor is going to have to take to get to where the the 12th doctor is um and that gates all the way back from um, the girl in the fireplace, which I loved. Mm. I thought that was one of Moffat's most brilliant. I, some of my favorite work from Moffat was when that he, when he was writing under the auspices of RTD. And uh, The Long Way Round carried such poignancy. Uh, and I know it's been used a couple more times since then in the show. And I, that's, I think, one of the, one of the really special images that, that Moffat has given to this show. So that was one... Um, there was another one I was thinking of that, well, the Everybody Lives, we've kind of already talked about that, um, you know, and that I think was totally appropriate here at the end. I think the misdirection was present. And again, that's something which Moffat is known for. Certainly. I mean, I'm I'm sure this has been said on other podcasts and other shows as well, but when you, when Bill makes her first entrance, she's silhouetted and how many fans thought, my God, he's done it. He's brought Susan back. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, Mm -hmm. that's a very Moffat thing leading you up the garden path only to find it isn't the garden path at all. It's something else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I knew I shouldn't have, expected it right yeah. it was that was something that only longtime fans were really going to be able to grasp and appreciate because you'd have to explain so much to new viewers <laughs> as to who this yeah. woman is and why the doctor's freaking out but my god since we got that picture of her on his desk at the beginning mm-hmm. of the pilot that's all I wanted out of this episode. <laughs> and, and I knew I wasn't going to get it. And then to be teased in that manner. Oh. Yeah. So, yes, it, it was quite a fitting Moffat episode, really, you know, wasn't and, it? And the, the other image that, yeah. that's a Moffat image was that fairy tale image that they explored. And, of course, it, you know, right from the start of the Moffat area, everybody yeah. talked about how the the program had a fairy tale quality and so that bit at the end about you know is the the universe generally fails to be a fairy tale but that's where we come in 
Um, and even the, I like that. the that, title again. of the episode, right? You know, instead of mm. calling oh, twice it upon a time. The Doctors, which is what it was originally supposed to be called, it was, hey, if we're going to end this fairy tale, it's twice upon a time. I mean, it's such a... That's great. It's, it's a... Moffat managed to find closure in a sense, and it was just not something that he always gets a chance to do. Yeah, no, that was well done. And lines straight from Moffat's mouth, like letting, the doc- letting go of the doctor is so hard, and um, and then his final words, doctor, I let you go. Yeah. It's totally Moffat talking. <laughs> well, is it? I mean, I, I know you're certainly meant to think that, and I, I thought that too. And, um, you know, in the same way I don't want to go, was that really the doctor or was it RTD? Uh, you know, ev- everybody was um, suggesting that uh, the doctor was the voice piece of either the showrunner or indeed the writers, um, who in both those episodes were, just, were the same. But it's, I, I think it, it's so easy to read into stuff and, and sometimes give credit I think where it's not actually due I mean there was a there was a wonderful little interview um, with Stephen Moffat fairly recently uh, I think it was Toby Hadoke's news round actually um, uh, yeah yeah it was it was I think released shortly after this episode uh, had aired um, and he said at the, at the beginning that he kept on getting asked, you know, how are you going to differentiate your era from Russell T. Davis? And, you know, how would you set the tone uh, for Series 5? And he, he he eventually said, well, we all just agreed on the line fairy tale, but there was no planning. It was just an answer to giving interviews. And so if indeed that really was the case, um, and everybody had kind of embraced this idea or the notion that, that everything was slightly, you know, like a Tim Burton... Uh, film um, and therefore fairy tale then yeah then perhaps he is deliberately addressing it this time but I do wonder you know whether or not all of this is completely deliberate all the time or whether or not us fans just join the dots and make it sound perfect when actually there possibly wasn't a great deal of planning behind every nuance that we discuss well before we delve deeper into the the deeper meanings of what they may have meant and might have sent let's talk about the regeneration Okay. Because this is something that, whether you are looking forward to it or uh, fans who are not looking forward to it, this is something that definitely hangs heavy over any final episode uh, when a doctor <laughs> is leaving. Uh, and so how do you feel that the the regeneration was handled? Why did it have to happen in the TARDIS again? <laughs> there, there has not been a regeneration since oh good yeah two, since 2005 or 2000 and uh, yeah it was 2005 that hasn't taken place in the TARDIS you know I, I'm not suggesting that's a, a really bad thing and I know the TARDIS is part of the show and everybody shows clips of regenerations and of course people want to associate the TARDIS with regeneration, it looks good uh, in clip shows and so on. But I, I kind of was thinking back to, you know, the, the the last regeneration that we saw that wasn't in the TARDIS, and that that, that was in the Paul McGann film, and it just kind of felt more dangerous and risky, without having to have explosions or the TARDIS fly sideways and dispose of the Doctor. You know, it it, it was just very very samey for me uh it was nothing wrong with it you know um i i wasn't particularly fond of the 
big speech the Doctor gave to himself beforehand. I mean, that, we were talking earlier about things that are endemic to Moffat's era, and I tell you, speeches is certainly one, and this particular Doctor makes speeches all the time, uh, a lot of the time in completely inappropriate moments. But I, I felt certainly having a speech prior to a bog-standard regeneration was a little disappointing, a little. Uh, yes, it looked okay, it was filmed beautifully. I can't point a single part of it and say I didn't like that, but it was nothing that we hadn't seen before. Michelle? I'll disagree with him some. I mean, he's probably right that it's... <laughs> he's probably right that it, it is kind of following the same pattern as usual, but I really want a good speech from the Doctor at the end, especially if we're now in this era of where he can live in the state of grace, they named it in this episode, and kind of be half dead I guess and holding off regeneration for a long long time so if he if he's got the span of time to do that I really do want to hear what his final words are what his final thoughts are what the most important thing is that he wants to to convey at the end and what I like about this time is that it made sense for him to do that um, he you know he, he basically says wait you know we're going to hold off on this because I have a few things to say uh, and I was fine with that um, partly because Capaldi gives brilliant speeches. It's, it's one of his wonderful things. But um, sure, so this time it didn't, you know, it didn't pretend to be anything other than it, what it was, which was a final word, the doctor's, you know, final, most important last thoughts. And I loved it. I, I you know, accepted it in that vein. Um, I thought it was beautiful, beautifully performed. I mentioned earlier how, how much it focuses on kindness, um, and I do think, I think some of the words in the speech are great. Hate is always foolish. Love is always wise. Always try to be nice. Never fail to be kind. That is so different from oh. the doctor as we met him. <laughs> you I'm, hush, James. I'm doing it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, but it's I, so I, want, I, want a, I want a little bit more than just a series of greetings cards quotes, you know, from my doctor <laughs> at the end of an incarnation. In well, he tells you not to like pears, so that's... A thing? <laughs> Not for the first <laughs> time, actually. That's that's come up before, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Can't remember where now. Yeah, I don't mind. I, you know, <laughs> I like to think that. At any rate, I, 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 I do like it, and it's so far from where he was when we first met him. That again, my first thought was, I want to watch through this whole, this whole era again, and see if I can trace that development. Watch for that development along the way. So I, you know what, what I, what I kind of agree with you on, James, um, I don't mind that it happens in the TARDIS and I've kind of reconciled myself to all the, the, uh, the wild pyrotechnics, but I'm still not understanding why the TARDIS has to destroy itself every time the doctor regenerates or, um, <laughs> that, that's, uh, that, that part puzzles me a bit and I'm not sure I'm on board with that, but I thought the final scene for Capaldi was, was pretty brilliant. I think the TARDIS has to destroy itself whenever a new showrunner is coming on. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Again, it's, you, the, it's, it's the production crew bleeding through into the story again. <laughs> but you do, it does make you wonder um, why, if he's going to do that much damage, because uh, we've seen in what was the uh, time of the Doctor, he can take down an entire Dalek fleet with his regeneration energy. <laughs> why you would do that in a contained <laughs> space? But <laughs> if uh, let me ask you this as a group. If the regeneration had looked different when Capaldi becomes Jodie Whittaker's doctor, would that have 
made you happier or made you suspect? Like if, if, yeah. if the, you know, the energy was different and, and something totally different happened and then suddenly he's a she, right? Yeah. Like, would that have been a misstep, do you think? It may have been a consideration when they were planning it because they're going to be at pains to make it very clear that this is the same show, it's the same character, and therefore why should the regeneration into a female Doctor have anything different aesthetically uh, to, to things that we've seen in the past? Uh, so, yes, I, I think it's a good point. I hadn't thought of it until you mentioned it, but I, I reckon that was actually a conscious decision. Yeah, no, I hadn't thought of that either, but I, I see your point. And, yeah, so maybe they were wise to, to continue in the vein that they did. I mean, if you did a regeneration now in a different way, you'd have to get it right. <laughs> they, you know, there's yeah. this whole generation of, of viewers who have grown up seeing only that one kind of regeneration. So if and when they ever do change that again, um, you're gonna ha- it's going to have to be pretty, pretty powerful. And by that, I don't mean it has to be you know, flamethrowing. <laughs> but it, has to be, it would have to be somehow dramatically story-wise pretty powerful. Yeah, um, and, and that's yeah. why I think um, they, they missed a trick because they could have taken this outside of the TARDIS. They could have made it much more dangerous. And in the modern era, uh, with the way the stories are written now, I think that would have been really good uh, to leave a brand-new Doctor who just happened to change into a woman um, stranded somewhere without the TARDIS, I think would have carried with it a whole lot more threat and peril. And you could have still maintained the same you know, regeneration effects that we've seen for the last 10 years. So, um, you know, again, whilst whilst it didn't disappoint me, I just think that it could potentially be seen as a missed opportunity to do something that would have really made people very keen to find out what happens next, rather than just a slightly different version of when David Tennant regenerated into Matt Smith. Speaking of what happens next, we have gotten our first look at Jodie Whittaker as the next Doctor. What do you think? There's not much to go on, is there? <laughs> no, there's not. But but it's the only Fine. thing we have to go on for the next nine months. So <laughs> nine months, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Um, I yeah, I, I thought she was great. Um, I I think um, it's good that within the two words that she had, um, she clearly addressed the change of gender um, and had a positive reaction to that. I think there, there wasn't really any other choice. Um, perhaps they could have got away with surprise, but a positive reaction, I think, is good. Um, and with what little is there, then I'm intrigued to the next season, certainly. Did she say two words or just one? Oh, brilliant. Oh, yeah. brilliant. Okay, oh, oh, okay. Does yeah. O count as a word? Oh, I suppose. Just about. <laughs> just about. If you get points no, for I'm... it in Scrabble, it's a word. <laughs> I'm looking. I have not read a lot of the... Um... You know any of the hype or, or online stuff about Jodie Whittaker, um, or at least very little. So I, I don't have a lot to go on, uh, except that I am really looking forward to her. I'm excited to see what happens with a new Doctor and a new a new showrunner and the stories that'll come come after this. I liked what I liked about her performance and what little of it we got was the um, kind of the joy and the wonder. Um, we we have just seen. Uh, the regeneration of a doctor who was very tired and was carrying a lot of weight, and and rightfully so, given everything that we've talked about that that, that doctor experienced. So it's nice to have a doctor come on, you know, literally new life um, with what, you know, could be a new outlook on life and fresh energy. Um, and so I like that. I like I liked the 
kind of the delight and wonder that we saw in that little short performance that we got from her. I'm really looking forward to seeing what lies ahead, and I'm sorry we have to wait nine months. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> I did not understand the words she said. Uh, I've heard, I had to, I've heard I had, that said a lot. I had to go online and look, and it was a real bummer, uh, uh, only because I guess it was it was probably how I was watching the episode, you know, with headphones and and like on a tiny smaller computer than I normally would. But uh, I didn't under, I didn't get it, and I'm like, okay. I I can't remember what I thought it was, but I'm like, I know the doctor's first words were not that. Uh, so let's go and check it online. Um, it wasn't a kidney reference, so... Uh, Thank goodness. Actually, yeah. that was a... <laughs> um, you know, I do have a question, and I, I don't know if any of you have seen it anywhere. Um, as After she says brilliant, she presses a button on the TARDIS, and of course everything starts going crazy. But for just a second or a fraction of a second, the TARDIS, um, the 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 screen that she's looking at, flashes a message, and it happens so fast that you cannot read the message in real time. And yet, I think it's probably something important to why the the TARDIS blows up the way it does. Has anybody? I mean, somebody somewhere must have done a. Uh, a screenshot or frozen the screen to read what that message is. I was trying to do it last night on, on my phone and that didn't work. Um, anybody know? Not me. I no. I haven't listened to a single podcast or read a single review yeah. since since Christmas. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of wanted to come at it with fresh eyes. So I'm, I meant to put it on the regular TV and see if I could stop it right at that moment. Um, and uh, it's 42 seconds after whatever that minute was, 57.42 or something like that. Uh, well, you know where we're <laughs> jumping to conclusions then. <laughs> so, okay, you're, you're no help at all. No. Thanks. No, no. We get that a lot. Uh, I agree. I, I um, My first impression was uh, she seems like she's going to be hopefully uh, fun, possibly lighter series next year. And not only was it her first few seconds, but it was Chris Chibnall's first few seconds because I think he wrote that. Yeah. But I have to say that ending, the ending where she fell out of the TARDIS and she's falling and it's like, you know, to be continued. It reminded me a lot of uh, Big Finish reference here, uh, the Eternity Cage from Andrew Smith from the War Doctor audios. And um, in fact, last year when we talked to him, he was talking about that ending uh, ending it on a cliffhanger and handing it over to Ken Bentley and saying, "Here, write your way out of this." <laughs> and um, and I'm I'm uh, I guess we'll see how Chibnall will write his way out of that one. So I think he probably knows already, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, 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 it's funny just going back to the uh, the, the the accent. Um, apparently, she is going to be speaking in her natural northern accent as well, or Yorkshire accent. So. Um, Hopefully it would be a little clearer um, to anyone who isn't um, from from England or indeed Yorkshire. But uh, they, 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 I read online lots and lots of comments after the episode that people couldn't make out what it was that she said. And it wasn't exclusively people who didn't live in the UK. So there were quite a lot of people here who didn't understand what she said either. So um, Well, and that, that's probably a, a sound levels issue as much as anything with all the noise that's going on in the background. Yeah. Perhaps. There was explosions. Perhaps. The music was swelling. Um, yeah. I was trying to read her lips. Didn't didn't help. Mm. And and agree, Michelle. I I thought she was looking at the screen and responding not to the reflection, uh, but what was on the screen. So I missed the reflection part of it too. I was just uh, I was tired. 
It was yeah. <laughs> no. I think I think she was responding to her reflection. What I'm speaking about happens after that line. Right. Um, it's when you know, and and there is, it. They would never have had a frame with words on that screen if they weren't relevant. I would assume in some way. You just don't do that in the show. And so I I think it's there's an expectation that fans will freeze the shot. Now now watch it be something totally banal. <laughs> After I've built it up, but I do want to go back and see it because it's right before um, everything breaks loose and, and, you know, she gets thrown from the TARDIS. So I'm very curious. It's also interesting to me as she's falling, you have one last look back into the TARDIS and it's an inferno in there. So, you know, I, I know there's a lot of speculation on why was she... I mean, it looks like she's thrown out of the TARDIS by the TARDIS. It really does. Um, there's a shot, again, looking at the TARDIS from space, and the TARDIS shakes itself a couple times until she gets she gets thrown out. Uh, that's certainly the way it looks. And so I'm real curious what that message was. I, and, I, and I wonder if it was to protect her from the inferno that was just about to happen or... or Anyway, I'm sure it'll all be explained in nine months when we get the next episode. It was a it was a uh, cunning reference to the season seven episode Inferno, uh, in which uh, we have an alternate reality in which the Doctor didn't happen. Actually, you know what? I'll tell you what. Speaking of alternate realities where shows did or did not happen, let's jump to Shada because uh, we have talked okay. about the Christmas special. Longer than the Christmas special actually aired. Ah. Uh, and we have this newly revitalized, quote-unquote, lost episode to talk about. And, and I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about that. Um, we have a bit of a disadvantage here in the United States in that it was not released to us unless we're very sneaky about having Region 2 players and ordering off of the Amazon UK. Uh, or we have friends uh, who are technologically savvy. Uh, so that being said, one, did we need a new Shada? What do you think? Wow. Well, um, first I'll, I'll just describe a little about how I saw this for the first time because I, I went along to the British Film Institute who were, well, it, it was a hark back to the anniversary year um, where they screened a classic story uh, from each era, once a month, uh, for, so the entire year, really. Um, you, you had a monthly pilgrimage to the BFI. You you watched an episode with uh, a whole bunch of fans, and you had a panel afterwards, chaired by one of the um, one or two of the uh, curators at the BFI, who were very very knowledgeable about Doctor Who. And and this is exactly the format used um, to, to to show Sharda. Um, difference being this time is that I had known very, very, very little about uh, how this entire version of Sharjah had come into being. Um, and so I sat down expecting it to be, you know, six episodes, um, which it wasn't. It was just edited into one big, long movie length uh, story. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it is probably, in my view, uh, the most definitive version of Sharda of the very, very many available for you to watch um, out there. Um, but whether or not we actually needed a new one is a really good question, uh, because I think you've got to decide what is the most interesting thing about Sharda. Is it the fact that it was never finished, and therefore people and Doctor Who fans generally cannot stop but remaking it and finishing it or is it such a seminal brilliant piece of writing from Douglas Adams that it it really did 
require you know restoring and uh, and, and completing um and, and i think it's probably the former because uh, i i think sharda certainly as a as a story is is good um but i think it really runs out of steam about halfway through um and, and then you're just jumping from scene to scene and very little actually happens or gets resolved um but but looking at it as a as a piece of um, well, actually, as a result of someone's project, uh, then it works very, very well. And if you're not familiar with Sharda, and I'm not sure there is a semi-serious Doctor Who fan who isn't, uh, but if, if, if you don't know the story very well, then this is going to be the best way of watching it, I think, that's, um, that's available. Possibly, possibly, I, I would say the Paul McGann version for a big fan- finish rivals it and you could say that it's it's told in a slightly different way uh but again the two kind of stories exists in different time streams really in different universes but on, on the whole yeah it's it, it's a worthwhile project um and it, it presents sharda in in the closest way i think um to broadcast or or um no, that's not right, really. I think it presents it in uh, the best way that we can expect. Um, the only difference being um, that it's 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 one big long story as opposed to six episodes. You know, James contacted us, I think, um, with the idea that we review Shada. And my first thought was, oh, you know, gee, I'm going to enjoy talking Doctor Who again on a podcast. But my, my other thought was, do I have to go through yet one more version of Shada? <laughs> um, and so it is. It's, it's, it's a good story. I, you know, I don't think it's a great story. And I, I've seen the, the version with Tom Baker doing linking narrative. Um, I've seen and I've listened to the Big Finish version. I agree with James that that's a really good, really good version of it. Um, Paul McGann and Lala Ward. Uh, recreating the characters is, is also a neat combination. Um, but so I guess the answer to did we really need another Shada, I would say only if it's a really good version of it that contributes something we haven't seen before. And I think this was. This is um, probably my favorite version as well now. Um, it it uh, The live action worked seamlessly into the animation. I like the animation probably better than any other animated Doctor Who I've seen. Um, it was uh, a real a real fun watch um you know, of a show that's 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 pleasant you know that, that that's enjoyable even if it isn't um gonna be in my top 10 or something how about you brent well i, I agree I've, I've heard a lot of people say oh no not shada again but <laughs> to me to me I, I when i found out about it a couple of months ago i was really excited about it because i felt like they were actually going to do it proper this time and and they did because, you know, ever since the early 90s when the Tom Baker version came out with the narration and everything, I watched that so many times. Sure. And, and I liked it, but it just made you want to see what was missing that much more. Um, and plus the music was weird. <laughs> uh, and and then you had the McGann version, which was good, but, you know, it was the wrong doctor. It was sort of a kind of a slightly different story. So I was really waiting for this one. And, and the first thing I noticed right off the bat when I watched it was the music because it's so much better than what we had before. Who, who did the first one? Kef McCullough, I think. And uh, this is Mark Ayers doing the Radiophonic Workshop. Was D- Dudley, Dudley Simpson. Yeah, yeah. Dudley Simpson. Uh, right ideas right from him. Mm. And um, I just loved it. Like I agree with the uh, the animation. I think it's the best animation I've seen so far. Yeah. 
Um, and it really, I was so caught up in the story that the transitions between the live action and the animation weren't jarring at all. I thought they blended really well. It was seamless. It was good. It, yeah. it, it was done by the same team who did Power of the Daleks, and this was the next commission, really. Um, and, and, and people were wondering, well, why go to Sharda? <laughs> why not go to something that, you know, nothing exists of? But uh, but certainly the music is there's a really, really interesting story, um, how, how that score was uh, composed and put together by Mark Ayres. And um, it's, there's a couple of interviews out there with Mark Ayres, and I'm not a really big fan of... Um, you know, music throughout Doctor Who. You know, I know it's there, and I know there are some people who are very, very into it and can identify. You know, episodes from two or three second clips. And, you know, I, I, it's just not really something that I'm particularly interested in. However, I'm a big fan of Mark Ayres. Um, it, not only is he a fantastic musician, but he's, uh, he's he's a massive Doctor Who fan, and he's very interesting to listen to. And he was uh, a close friends really um of, of of dudley simpson long after dudley stopped walking on doctor who and so he basically recreated um the the new music that you hear in the new version of sharda using techniques mm-hmm. that dudley simpson designed and, and talked to him about so this is really really authentic even if it is as does simpson you know it's it, it's really really authentic and it feels very very right when you watch the um when you watch the story i was i'm kind of new to shada right so i i didn't i didn't watch it when they had their re-releases in the 90s and and so forth so the my first example of shada was in douglas adams original books when he used elements of shada in the dirk gently stuff and then when the novelization came out i thought oh man cool novelization of a of a a douglas adams story that i hadn't seen i'll read that Hmm. after i read it i was like that's cool oh lala ward came out with an audiobook of it yeah i could i could listen to that story again 11 hours later um, and then, of course, they released it with all the special footage and on the extras, and it was a you know kind of an expensive set, but it was really cool. And I watched that, and I was a little hesitant, but I agree with everybody. I think that the animation was so good, and it was put together really well. And I thought the special effects was good, and listening to the music sounded a little bit like um, City of Death, had kind of sort of reminiscent of another Douglas Adams piece, and. I really enjoyed it, like more so than I thought I would, and I kept on waiting for the episodes to end and start, you know, get that cliffhanger. And it, when it kept on going, I was like, okay, different. I mean, I, I still feel like you could probably have taken 20 minutes of animation out and you could have cut it to a 90-minute um, a print that could have been shown in theaters, which it wasn't in the U.S., I don't think. It might have been, I might have just missed it. Not saying that you would have released it on DVD without those extra 90 minutes or, or 30 minutes or whatever it is. Because I think as a fan, I want it to be as close to the original script as, as could be made possible. But I think this is an excellent one to introduce. Not introduce people to Doctor Who, but you can say, oh, I've heard about Shada. This is definitely of all the, the ones I've watched or listened to. I think this would be the one I would go with. Yeah, if I had any complaints or criticisms at, at all, they're just minor ones like it wasn't split into six parts. And, and they played Hartnell, the Hartnell theme at the end. I didn't, uh, I didn't get that. The fantastic model shots. Mm. I think they did new model shots for this. And some newly shot scenes with K-9 and the Krogs. Yeah. That was pretty cool. Yeah, they did. There was, um, I, I 
don't know how much money they had, but it was clearly a reasonable sum. And they cre- recreated um, a couple of sets, you invested in some old cameras, um, so it all, all fitted in with the original footage that was, was shot, and um, even... Um, even invested in some, uh, well, it weren't necessarily musical instruments. I mean, there was, um, uh, I seem to remember Mark Ayres describing it at the BFI. He was there as well when we watched it and he was interviewed. Um, this this spring, this car spring from an old 1970s car, he managed to find one of those on eBay and Dudley Simpson had used this in order to create some kind of unique sound and Marquez wanted to replicate it. Uh, so he just went on, you know, eBay and bought that. So there was there was quite a lot of money available to go and indulge in, you know, in small adventures, if you like, that, that actually aided and made um, all of the new stuff uh, feel completely authentic and, and, and genuine. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't too sure, and I'm still not entirely certain um, of, of the reasons why they actually included Tom Baker in the final scene, uh, you know, as is modern-day Tom Baker. Um, I know it's nice, uh, and the fans like it, uh, but I think... Um, it's it slight, slightly confusing if, if you're not aware of uh, <laughs> of how this version of Shadow actually came into being. Yeah, I I hadn't been spoiled on that. I had no idea what was going on, and suddenly oh, wow. uh, the Doctor... I mean, I, I guess I had seen a picture of Tom Baker in the outfit in the TARDIS that someone had did a screen grab, but I, I didn't know what in the context it was. So when you see the Doctor's legs sticking out, and I'm like, I don't remember this part at all. And Lala Ward's having dialogue, but she's not in the scene. Is this part of the original? Let's go. Oh, oh, he is old. Right. There you go. <laughs> um, but, you know, when, 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 yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just, I was just going to make a reference to the, the day of the doctor. It was just kind of a pleasant surprise to see Tom Baker just embracing Doctor Who just in general. Mm. So it, um, yeah, I, I think pleasant surprise is nice. I also was not spoiled. I didn't know that was going to come. And But when when the dialogue was off screen and you kept seeing his legs, I knew it. I figured it out before he before he came out. Um, and I liked it. I mean, it it probably wasn't necessary and it, you know, isn't necessarily obviously fit in with the story per se. But I liked it. There was nothing wrong with it. And it was... Uh, great chance to see him like you say inhabiting the role again which is good to see and it is something different you know if why shada again i mean i know just that three minutes is not enough to justify <laughs> doing a whole new production but mm. in a sense it's it is and you can you can always not watch that part you know when i get the dvd in the next decade or whatever it is that we're, we're sending it out to the united <laughs> states you know it's probably going to be a chapter where you could probably end it before that happens i won't because Tom Baker, but it was still nice to see. I have no idea. How's the, um, so for those of you who actually have the disc, and I guess that James, do you have the, the DVD proper? I do. I have it in my hand, actually. Uh, what, Both of them. What <laughs> cool features uh, are on, on this release? That we can oh, look forward to. Exactly the, almost exactly the same features that were on the last release of uh, Charter. Um, there, there really isn't anything different, I'm afraid. They haven't um, they haven't added anything new to it. Um, there's um, uh, there's a, a featurette called Strike Strike Strike, which I haven't watched. Um, I haven't watched any of these actually, so I can't give you a great deal of information uh, about it. But there's something about the model effects. There's a few deceit- uh, deleted scenes. Um, there's the same audio commentaries, 
um, and and something about um, uh, there's a small featurette that appears on all of the DVDs called Now and Then, which shows you um, the difference between the locations when it was shot and how it is when the DVD was produced, and that's on it as well. But there's, there's not really a great deal else at all, apart from a, a brand new production um, uh, notes leaflet uh, that's included in it. Um, and, and it's also available on Blu-ray, of course, because... Uh, a lot of this stuff was uh, was on film, so it translates into high definition. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's whether or not it's worth um, investing um, just for the special features. <laughs> uh, I, I'd probably say no. I mean, the, the real attraction here is the new version of Sharda. Well, there you go. Well, thank you both of you for joining us on this special episode. It's it's so great to one talk to you again uh, and sort of s- celebrate the year that was the beginning of who and company but it's also great just to sit and talk doctor who yeah mm-hmm. yeah well, thank, thank you very much indeed for having us on it's it, it it's it, it's always a lot of fun um even if i've not spoken on a podcast at all or online since we spoke this time last year you can't oh. tell can you <laughs> we'll give you a year to prep and, and when we do it again in 2019 that sounds like a good idea to me yeah same time next year sounds good thank you very much for having us back And thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixel who. Who and Company can now be found on iheartradio.com or you can download the podcast directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. You can also contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. See you next month. If I hear any more language like that from you, young lady, you're in for a jolly good smack bottom. Then I know something here. Affirmative, Master. Then why didn't you tell me, you stupid animal? I assumed you could see it, Master. What is it, canine? A spacecraft, Mistress, a very advanced design. Many of its functions are beyond my capacity to analyze. I've built something that clever I want people to see. Shh. And I'm... What's it powered by? Insufficient data. Aren't we all? Where does it come from? Insufficient data. What does it look like? Very large, mistress. How large? 100 metres long. 100 metres? That should keep the cows guessing. You? Or me? No. No. Yes. Yes, I'm very much afraid, sir. Do I become you? Well, there's a few false starts, but you get there in the end.